It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Welcome to the VolQuest podcast here at VolQuest.com. And of course, it's brought to you by Smoky Mountain Organics each and every week. If you're suffering with these spring allergies like many of us do, then I encourage you to check out Smoky Mountain Organics. East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store focusing on natural products and organic remedies to a variety of ailments. You can visit one of the three locations here in East Tennessee, including the one in Knoxville that's at 8018 Kingston Pike across the street from the Trader Joe's, or you can buy online at their website, SmokyMountainOrganics.com. Eric Kane alongside Brent Hubbs, Rob Lewis, and Austin Price here on the VolQuest podcast. And gentlemen, a very, very eventful end of the week around college football, specifically here in the SEC. You have the name, image, and likeness talk. Of course, it all started what's well, been going on, but it all started with Nick Saban when he was meeting with a, a group of uh, business owners in uh, Tuscaloosa on Wednesday night. Had a couple of things to say. Jimbo Fisher responds. Deion Sanders is in this whole mess as well. Brent, we'll start with you. What do you make with all this? I mean, you've been covering college football for some time, and I've never seen anything like this in terms of putting people's names in their mouth mouths and and just with the verbal jabs and whatnot. Well, as we know, Rob Lewis, it just means more in the SEC, right? And so it's, uh, I think it's pretty obvious to me, and, and I've said this a couple of different times, a couple of different places. To, to me, it's pretty obvious that Jimbo Fisher's got some issues with Nick Saban that go a lot deeper than uh, whatever was said at a booster meeting in, in Birmingham, Alabama last week. Now, there's rumors out that, uh, and a story out that this stems back from when they were at LSU together and, uh, all this other stuff, but but there's obvious, there's obviously to me uh, a much deeper situation than than Nick Saban calling out uh, Jimbo Fisher for his signing class. I, I don't, Rob, I just don't think you react that strongly if there's not some deeper rooted issues there. Oh yeah, I mean some of the stuff stuff that you know that, that was in Jimbo's response about go find anybody that's ever worked for him, go find assistant coaches. <laughs> I mean, I mean he was dancing right up to the line that you just don't cross you know, if you're in the coaching business and I mean, and, and he may have crossed it depending on, you know, your interpretation of, of, you know, I don't, I don't see how you listen to any of that or read anything that, that Fisher said where he wasn't essentially calling Nick Saban a cheater and saying he had, you know, had been for years. I, I thought it was the equivalent Rob of like getting in a fight with your wife. And like, you know, you say something simple, like, you know, Hey, the, the, the you know, there's a little bit of dust on the dresser and all of a sudden she goes and drags out everything that you've ever done wrong in your marriage. Like you left your socks on the floor in 1984. You didn't, <laughs> you left the toilet seat up in 1987. I mean like that, that, I mean, it was, I mean, it went straight for the jugular. He, 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 he gutted him and he left him laying is how I would put it. <laughs> it sounds like you're speaking from experience, Austin. Do you want to, you need a therapy session here? Oh, yeah, you don't fight with my wife. Like, you name something small, and, like, she, like, recounts anything you've ever done that was across. Jimbo just, Jimbo stopped just short of telling Saban to leave his mom out of it. <laughs> so I've, this... never seen it, I've never seen anything like it, though. I mean, to answer your question here, I mean, we've seen some spats. I mean, I, I think back to uh, John Calipari and Jim, and um, uh, Chaney at, at Temple, Chaney. you know, going after each other that way. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've never seen anything like, like this, you know, so we'll see what happens. It's going to make for an interesting weekend, Destin, Florida. I think those two probably sit across the table from each other and, 
um, we'll, we'll see how, how everybody handles. I'm sure they'll be on their best behavior, but uh, certainly going to make for a storyline in Destin in another week. Yeah, I would agree. And you guys are certainly giving me a lot to look forward to with marriage. I just want to say that right now. But real quick, let's hear some from Jimbo Fisher. I kind of cut up the best of the best of what he said. I mean, he spoke for 10 minutes, called his own press conference, spoke for 10 minutes long. Here's some of what Jimbo Fisher had to say in retaliation of what Nick Saban said the night before. First of all, I'll say it's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ. More importantly, 17-year-old kids. You're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. And they broke state laws. They're, they're all money. We bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. The way we do things, the ethics in which we do things, and these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. And it's ridiculous when he's not on top and the parody in college football he's been talking about go talk to coaches who coach for him you'll find out all the parody go dig into wherever he's been you can find out anything and it's a shame that you got to sit here and defend 17 year old kids and families and texas a&m because we do things right we're always going to do things right but we're not we're always going to be here we're doing a heck of a job these coaches have done a great job our players have done a great job the whole organization of recruiting people it's despicable that we got to sit here at this level of ball and say these things to defend the people of this organization the kids 17-year-old kids and their families. It's amazing. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it. And it's despicable. It really is. And it's a shame we have to sit up here and have this conversation about things we do. And it, and it personal to us? Yes, it is. It's personal to A&M. It's personal to our players. It's personal to our coaches and everybody involved. And I know the guy. Know him really well. It's amazing that we're allowed to do those things. It's really despicable. And I hate it for our players who are coming here who did things the right way, have done things the right way, and will continue to do things the right way. I apologize to you that people insult you publicly the way they're doing it. And our fans, I, I, I apologize to you guys for people saying those things about Texas A&M. But I promise you this, there are no violations. There are nothing wrong. It's the second time we've had to do this with grown men who don't get their way and want to pout, throw a fit, and act up. Just go ask all the people who work for him. You'll know exactly what he's about. I always said this. My dad always told me this. When people show you who they are, believe them. He's showing you who he is. Guys, you hear Jimbo Fisher right there. And again, we've, we've heard it. I watched it. You know, I've listened to it probably 10 or 15 times just because I think it's it's great. But, uh, you know, no, nothing's going to come of this, correct? I mean, the SEC spring meetings are coming up here the end of the month. Uh, I'm sure Greg Sankey, of course, he had the public reprimand and all that. Yeah. But Austin, nothing's going to come of this. This is pretty much a done deal. And it's just, they just two guys that don't like each other. And it'll be interesting on October the 8th when they play one another. Correct. Well, there are two guys that, you know, like each other to their face and then rip the piss out of each other when their back is turned. So, I mean, you know, now it's, you know, you're no longer liking each other to your face. So, I mean, you know, I've seen so many tweets about, you know, lay the, lay the money on Alabama to, take them behind the woodshed when they play and all that. So, I mean, it's, it, it, that, that game's going to be fascinating and there's going to be so much buildup around it. I think the best thing going for Tennessee is they play Alabama the next week. So Alabama's going to go off this emotional high against Texas A&M and then they come to Knoxville. Well, that set a record, Rob, for the number of cameras that are focused on a pre-handshake pre pre during warm-ups. I mean, were there – I mean, it'll look like it'll look like something we've never seen. Here's the other thing from from Greg Sankey that that I, I've I've posted this as well, and I believe this. If if all that's going to come of that is a public reprimand, reprimand of hey, don't do that again, which is I mean, it's his league; he can do whatever. 
I mean, can he ever find a coach for criticizing officiating after a game? Well, he will. I know, but I mean, if he does, doesn't it always fall back to wait a minute? You're, you're letting you're letting two coaches call each other cheaters and dog each other. One of them called his own press conference to 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 call another guy a cheater. I mean, doesn't doesn't that lose a little juice? I mean, in terms of how much you can punish a coach for any critical comments he makes uh, post game or any critical comments he makes surrounding something in the league. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I mean, I, I think in Sankey's mind, it's going to be apples and oranges. It's going to be a different thing, like criticizing the integrity of the game, the integrity of the officials. I mean, I, I agree with you, Hubber. I mean, I think, I think as far as what fans think is out of bounds, probably what just happened last week is is more over the top. But I think in the mind of a commissioner, you don't want. I think the official stuff is in a separate box. Okay. Here's a question for me too, Brent, and I'll, I'll go with you here. Nick Saban knew there were cameras rolling. He knew there were quarters sitting on the table. I mean, Nick Saban is is not a you know a non intelligent person, right? He went into this knowing he wanted to get a point across. Do you think this was more? It kind of got away from Nick Saban. He kind of lost it a little bit, or do you think all of this was premeditated? Because I think it's more the latter because he knew the situation that he was in. No, I, I think he chose. I think he chose a poor choice of words. Is what I think he did. I, I think he, I, I think he went in there with the mindset of, I, you know, I'm going to get asked about NIL. Here's what I'm, I've got things I want to say about NIL. But instead of saying Austin that Texas A&M's class had NIL deals when they signed or or were already set up that became official when they signed, however you want to call it, through a collective, he used the phrase. Jimbo bought the class, meaning Texas A&M bought the class, which gave Jimbo Fisher the opening he wanted, and 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 he obviously ran through it, you know, like a cartoon character run through a brick wall. I mean, if, if he if he if if he just uses the words, Texas A&M used name, image, and likeness to land the number one class. We used our history at Alabama to land the number two class. This is we're, we're, no. We're, we're not spending the first seven minutes of this podcast talking about this topic because it's a, it's a non-issue. It's a yep. non-topic. So nothing changes, essentially. So nothing's going to go status quo. And, of course, we talked name image lightness last week and the NCAA coming out and essentially doing nothing. But well, obviously that was the biggest thing in college football last week. Well, and it's interesting. It's a follow-up this week. Um, if, if, if everybody saw the stories that came out on Monday and over the weekend um, – just as we thought, Austin, that, that the criticism has shifted from the NCAA is going to come after everybody and, and how's that going to work to now people are saying the NCAA statement and what they want to do is, is not even really potentially possible. Nobody feels like it's much any, about nothing. Yeah, there's any juice to that squeeze, if you will, um, which, again, we'll, we'll see what comes out of spring meetings and, and the SEC. Clearly, there's there's people who feel like there needs to be uh, some some reform and, and some some national guidelines, some standard across the board guidelines. Tennessee Athletic Director Danny White feels that way. That's in our part two of our our, our conversation with him. Uh, that that's out there today talking about name, image, likeness. I just don't know with all the state laws out there, Rob, how you ever get to a uniform deal across the board. Um, that's going to be really challenging from a court stand, standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you are, and, I, and I, I'm not a lawyer, but I just know already we're seeing different you know, levels or, I don't know, enforcement's not the right word, but different levels of what's permissible out there 
you know, across the country. And I, I mean, I just, I, I don't think there is going to be a, a standard. I don't think the politicians, they're, they're screaming for, for Washington to fix this. And I don't think the politicians are going to limit what a 18 year old can make. They're not going to make it to say well, everybody makes the same. That they're not going to do that. I think they're going to, you know, because no, nothing is created equal. I mean, well, you know. Yeah, and I think the feeling from most people too is that there's not a way you're going to be able to punish a student athlete, and there's not a way you're going to be able to punish a collective from the NCAA. So the NCAA is coming back saying we're going to come get coaches. Um, you know, good good luck proving that coaches are the ones doing the deals. Yeah. I mean, and if Nico, if Nico had a tennis racket and you know, it was one of the best 17 year old players in the world, nobody would, would give a crap how much money he was making. Yeah. That's my whole thing about this too. It, it, whether it's the collective, the head coach or whatever, especially the head coach, it's you know, good luck proving inducement, you know, you know, you can, you can chatter about it, but good luck proving it. So I, I just think 11 months in to this whole mess, it, it truly is that mess and it'll continue to evolve as we continue on with name, image and likeness. But uh, certainly last week was uh, one for the record books, at least for me so far. Um, I've never seen anything like that. I thought it was pretty wild. And obviously it was fun to sit back and watch and and kind of you know get your popcorn. And like Lane Kiffin might say, away from name, image, and likeness and really the football field, Tennessee basketball continues to uh, reel in some prospects. Now their third prep prospect in the last eight days. Rob DJ Jefferson went on an official visit last weekend. Went ahead and made the call then, but announced it later last week. But Tennessee gets a, a nice backcourt player that can develop and sit behind some good guys here next year. But a quality depth was added to the roster uh, on Friday. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see what DJ Jefferson brings to the table because I think he's, you know, I think people see where he signed with Tulsa and they kind of poo poo it a little bit. And, you know, they think that the kid doesn't maybe doesn't have that high of a ceiling. I, I'm, I think that, you know, I'm not claiming he's going to be an all-SEC guy or anything, but I think this kid has a chance to be a good player for Tennessee. Great athlete, six foot five, um, handles it well, shoots it pretty well. But a, a big, I mean, the thing that jumps out is his athleticism. He's long. He, he's got the tools to be a, a quality defender, I think, out of the gate. And, Eric, you mentioned development. He's going to come in and be under no pressure whatsoever to play with what Tennessee is bringing back on the wings and Josiah. And Santi adding a fifth-year guy, like or a six-year guy, actually, like Tyree Key, and then bringing in Julian Phillips, who I think will mostly play on the perimeter. So, and, and they didn't get to Jemai Meshack. But a year from now, a lot of those names are not going to be here. So, I, I think it's really good to get DJ into the program. And um, I think what really has sort of you know, you see him come from kind of off the radar to four-star, some places, top 100 player. Some places, I think, um, in talking to his high school coach last week, he went, went to high school in Texas his first two years. And, you know, since he was 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", he played inside. He played power forward for his high school team in Texas, moved to Minnesota. And um, his coach was like, no, 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 no. That's you, – you belong you belong outside. And so, really, he's just been playing guard full-time for two years. And uh, I think it's still pretty early on in, in uh, the, his development as a perimeter guy. Rob, you, you had it. I mean, isn't part of the confidence about what the, what DJ Jefferson can end up being at Tennessee? Doesn't that stem from the fact of kind of piggybacking on what you wrote on Sunday? The fact that this program has continued to recruit high school kids late, deep into the process, and they've had success in 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 landing those guys. I mean, when I say not landing them, but success. And those guys being contributors, it's really unusual because all we hear about is 
you got to recruit them as eighth grader, you got to recruit them as a ninth grader, or you don't have a chance with them. And I think there's truth to that, right? But 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 this program has done something a little bit outside the box and, and pulling some guys in late that were sort of under the radar guys who have ended up being really big contributors for this program, which probably I gives some more confidence to Jefferson, right? I mean, I, I think so for sure. And it was, I mean, I, you know, I, I knew that on some level, but I mean, when you really go back and start looking at every class, but man, I forgot he was a spring guy, man. I forgot he was a spring guy. Yeah. They had done, you know, I think a lot of programs, I'm not saying Tennessee hasn't done some of this. A lot of times in the spring, if you've got room, you'll, you'll take a guy to take a guy. And I, I mean, I don't think Tennessee's done a lot of that, but I think here or there they have they have taken some kids who, you know, it, it was apparent pretty early and couldn't play. But the flip side of that is they have gone in in the spring and really found some new gems. I mean, nobody knew who Olivier was when, when Tennessee signed him four years ago. He has turned into a, a rock-solid SEC starter as a junior. Jordan Bowden. Was a was a guy that you know a lot of people around here knew about Jordan Bowden, but the coaching staff didn't. Added him late um, to their second class. Eve Ponds is maybe the best one ever in the seven years that they've been here. You get an All SEC, you know, first team All SEC defensive player, defensive player of the year. A guy gets drafted. So yes, I mean, I I don't think that I think this staff has done enough to where when they sign a kid late, you don't automatically assume they're just bringing in a body because they have the roster spots. Rob, uh, one spot still open, as you wrote, and as, as you've been writing and been mentioning, Tennessee still probably would like to find a point guard. Of course, Tyrese Hunter, uh, probably nearing a decision very soon, wrapped up his officials this past weekend. Uh, anything new there? And if not a, not a point guard, Tennessee might try to bring in a big man, as you mentioned, to replace Brandon Huntley Hatfield. But bottom line, one spot to fill, and they're going to fill it before it's all said and done, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think so. And um, obviously, Hunter is the focal point. I know, Brent, you've been talking to some people. I've been talking to some people at other programs. I mean, I know Tennessee feels like they're in it. Purdue feels like they're in it. I think Texas feels like they're in it. And I'm not sure, and, and we haven't spoken in a couple of days, I'm not sure where Kansas is as far as really pushing for him without knowing if some guys are coming back or not that, that have their names in the, in, in the draft. And and you know he may surprise everybody. But I, I kind of I don't feel like it's going to be Gonzaga. Gotcha. And baseball, of course, we're going to get that here in just a moment as it begins its play in Hoover for the SEC tournament postseason run. But uh, quickly, Austin, there's a obviously a huge weekend of recruiting coming up. The uh, premier you know, Memorial Day weekend events, if you will. Uh, we've continued to put names uh, in the war room and, and kind of try to mention players who we believe will be on campus, but. All in all, of course, Nico's going to be here. It's going to be a huge weekend for Tennessee to make some noise, and I'm sure there'll be more information on that as the week goes on prior to Saturday, which will be an all-day event. Yeah, three official visitors this weekend. Um, you know, but, you know, you look at the unofficials, Francis, uh, I've still got to figure out the uh, the pronunciation. Oh, I thought you had it. Come on, I thought you were going Maui Goa. Uh, no, it's not Maui Goa. Oh, Moinga, maybe. is uh, Someone tried to – educate me on it um anyway but francis will be in town he'll be here unofficially uh, and then he's going to come back officially in the month of june so the next month is going to be a you know big for tennessee and in, in, in his recruitment um you know but when you look at kind of where they are overall i mean tennessee you know has a lot of big timers coming in this weekend sean davion bradley obviously lucas simmons uh, will conform be the, the line of scrimmage is going to be big, including Vic Burley, who will be here officially as well. Um, 
you know, just a big weekend on the whole with a lot of big timers, enough guys that are committed here or are leaning here to kind of help recruit others. So, you know, Tennessee's got to have a lot of, you know, momentum coming out of this weekend. That doesn't mean they're getting a lot of commits this weekend, but what you want to do is set the table for commits in the month of June and July with a massive weekend this weekend. And the best thing going for them is most of these kids are going to unofficial this weekend and then turn around and official here again in a few weeks. Christian Conyers, unofficial this weekend, official here in a few weeks. You know, same thing when you look at Nathan Laycock. You know, and it, it, Tennessee's got a lot of momentum in recruiting. They just got to keep it. AP, for, for me, two questions. Sorry, Eric. Two, two questions I want to ask here. Bigger, bigger weekend for Ethan Davis to settle that down, or do you think it's settled down? Bigger weekend for Vic Burley because Tennessee's fighting to try to get back even with Clemson in this deal. When you look at that list, kind of where do you put those two at? The Ethan Davis thing's kind of interesting to me, but based on social media stuff he puts out there, but we know some other schools are still trying. Well, they're Ole Miss is certainly trying, but since then he has kind of squashed that. Um, and so it certainly feels like things are really on stable ground. Um you know, otherwise he kind of looks silly saying that his one and only official visit to Tennessee and, and you know, then three weeks later he does something else. That just doesn't seem likely. Um, so um, certainly feels like Tennessee's kind of steadied the ship there. And then with Vic Burley, I mean, it is a big weekend. Um, it's an official visit. You know, I, I think ideally Tennessee would love to have got up here, got him up there unofficially and then officially later in June, but that's not going to be the case. It's going to be an official visit. So, you know, Tennessee's got to swing their, you know, their, you know, take their one big shot right here and hope that, you know, that it does enough to, to really, you know, bring them back on, on Clemson's level. Again, when you look at kind of how this shakes out, Clemson's not taking their, getting their official with Vic Burley until the season. If he commits before the season, you just have to like their chances here, in my opinion, because he knows that he wants to take an official there and he's given them all the way till the season before he does it. Oh, so you're saying that could be a victory lap official visit potentially. Could be, yeah. Uh, interesting. And then as well, some other prospects, you know, coming in, you're talking officials and then you'll turn right around and do it, uh, or unofficials turn right around and do an official in June. Potentially, you know, some prospects on campus here, Memorial Day weekend to where you could earn one of those official visits in June. Talk with, you know, Keldrick Falk earlier this week, and he's a guy that had Tennessee in his top five, you know, six, seven months ago, but kind of, you know, hover around that five right now. He's got four locked in, and Tennessee's going to look to try to earn one of those as well. So, any way you want to spend it, a, a big time weekend coming up for Tennessee recruiting. Tennessee baseball postseason starts. It's a new season in Hoover this week. Tennessee will get going tomorrow, and they call it four thirty. I guarantee it won't start till anytime before five, maybe five thirty, because it's always running behind. But it's got one of those situations, Brent, to where, of course, it was a historic regular season, and that's great. But now you turn the page and really this week in the grand scheme of things doesn't necessarily matter because it gets going against regionals. But you can't tell that to Tony Vitello or those players. You know, we'll have to see exactly how the pitching is going to line up. You know, maybe Blake Tidball is in line to maybe start that Wednesday game. Do you leave Dolander on a Thursday? I don't know how you do it, but certainly a lot to play for in Hoover for this team before things really get going for the regional the following weekend. Well, the first thing I'm doing is with Chase Dolander, if I'm going to him and going, how many days of rest do you want? Because no offense to Hoover, he's got to be ready to go in regional play. Because it, when you look at the regionals, you, you got to get off to a good start. You do not want to claw your way out of out of the losers bracket, um, and and challenge you know your your pitching and your bullpen all that. So my my first priority, if I'm Tony Vitello, and Lord knows I'm no baseball coach, but I, I want to make sure that Chase Dolander 
is at 100% rested, ready to go for regional play. If that means, whatever that means when he starts or what he does in Hoover or doesn't do in Hoover, it's all about making sure he's ready to go in regional play because he is your ace. He has emerged as the guy on this baseball team uh, on the mound. He gets you deep into games. He saves your bullpen. You need a great start for him out of regional play. So I'm doing from a rotation standpoint, whatever Frank Anderson and Chase Dolander feel like he needs to do to be at his best in, in, in regional action. And then I think the other thing you got to do in, in this weekend uh, down, down in Hoover's, you, you want to try to get you want to try to get Drew Beam going more. Um, you know, and, and I know the plan for the Saturday game at Mississippi State was to 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 pitch a lot of guys and kind of get them back in a routine. But but it wasn't like Drew Beam was great in the two innings that he pitched. Um, mm-hmm. Control wasn't where it needed to be. They need to get him going. I thought Burns was was obviously better on Friday, so you feel a little better about where he's at there. Uh, but you need to get Drew Beam going so you have those four true starters uh, w- when you're talking about you know heading into regional play if you need them. And then when you get to super regionals, if you get there, then I think you're, you're Dolander, Tidwell, and, and probably Chase Burns is probably your three starters for, for that three-game set if, you, if it goes three games with, with Dolander and Tidwell being your first two guys. I thought Tidwell was really good. Uh, I thought that's the, be- the, the best that he has looked uh, since he's come back, which is a very positive sign for Tennessee. Yeah, was that going to be the biggest question? I mean, I think that is, if not the biggest, it's it's a question you want to see answered or you want to see something play out over Hoover. What does Drew Beam look like? Because, as you mentioned, I thought Blade Tidwell looked incredible the other night. Looked a little bit more like the old Blade Tidwell. Um, you know, he pitched three innings, 42 pitches, looked really, really good. And I have no issue with leaving Chase Burns um, in that ball game because, you know, he got roughed up in the seventh a little bit, but through six, he had 67 pitches, so he looked good. But is there anything else maybe from a line lineup standpoint, AP, that, that Tennessee needs to maybe try to accomplish this week? Because you're going to play every game to win. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, this, uh, you know, as we saw with Tampa, the Tennessee Vols, I mean, it meant something. They won the tournament, and that's great. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. What matters is the following weekend. Yeah, I mean, for me, I just think that Tennessee's lineup is is got, you know, the greatest, you know, the greatest possibilities with their DH, as you can imagine. When you can go, you know, lefty, you know, with Blake Burke, and then, you know, go Christian Moore with righties, you know, um, you know, it, it, it's it's really, really good. I mean, they bounce Lipsius around. He and Ortega kind of bounced around all year long. But Ortega just continues to rake, man. I mean, guys got 15 home runs on the year from the, you know, second base spot. I mean – you know, it's it's really really impressive. Um, you know, I, I'd love to see them just continue to work the bench a little bit, just because you never know when you you know need may need to go to a Kyle Booker in a key pinch hit situation. He started to hit the ball a little bit, you know, better late in the year as he's gotten healthier, and so I think players like that can really help a team like Tennessee down the stretch because you never know when you may need to go to him late in the game. Um, you know, for a big pinch hit, especially when you know if Tennessee's you know lucky enough to get to super regionals and or or you know Omaha. You know, I think players like that help, you know, help a comeback or, or help a key spot in the game. And and certainly they've started to, you know, kind of hit the ball better, uh, you know, coming off the bench than that maybe they did earlier in the years. They've gotten healthy, especially Booker. But Tennessee's starting lineup, especially their, you know, you know their, their first nine are just ridiculous. Here's the thing about that. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, they're clearly, to me, Rob, the most talented team out there. I mean, they've been number one all season long. They have played without any pressure for the entire season. You know what I mean? They've not been in a pressure 
pressure situation. I mean, they've had some comeback wins and some individual games and that type of thing, but but they've never had anything hanging over their head of any true locker room pressure. And, and the question is, I, 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 I think we all believe this team will handle it, but how do they handle now that it's it is pressure packed now? I mean, it's you know being the number one seed is not a given for anything, Rob. And, and so, how does this team handle that? How does Tony Vitello handle that? I, I think with some of those young guys, will will be the, the other storyline to watch a little bit. Although there's not pressure on them this week in Hoover, it does start the idea that your season can come to an end at any point in time now. I'm not as close to it as some of you guys are, but I just, I'll be really surprised if that's something that affects this team negatively. I just think, I mean, you're right. They've been so good that they haven't really, you know, been punched in the face and had to handle that adversity. But I, I just think the way Coach Vitello, you know, runs that thing, um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's built to take pressure and stride to, you know, the, the, the moment's not too big. I mean, I, I, I think if they come up short somewhere, it's not going to be because they choked. It's, it's going to be because, you know, some, some other opponent had, had a great night. They have a chip on their shoulder. I, when they can manufacture a little, you know, us against the world mojo, I, I think that that's right in their wheelhouse. Well, I think, and, and to be honest with you, I think that affected them at Kentucky. I mean, the weather was an issue, but there's 12 people in the stands. Mm-hmm. No, nobody, was, nobody was calling them out, right? I mean, Kentucky was just low-key. You know, they didn't celebrate. I mean, they, they had a walk-off celebration, but it wasn't like they tried to show up Tennessee – when they won the first game, which Tennessee felt like Alabama did, was it Alabama that yeah, won Alabama. the first yeah. series? Uh, you know, so in, in Lexington, they didn't. They had a hard time finding something to get them motivated. I mean, even in Mississippi State, who wasn't very good, who got boat raced. I mean, they got people, people in, you know, they got people like jawing them and, and, and in the stands, and then you know they're trying to steal bags late or run late in a twenty-eight to or twenty-seven to two game or whatever. I mean, and, and this team gravitates to anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, whatever buttons Tony Vitello can find to to push the the chip on the shoulder deal, there's no doubt this team loves being hated. Well, they, I mean, they, they won't they won't have any problems of finding playing in front of people from here on out. That's true. You know, they won't have any of those dull atmospheres. I mean, look at you got you got two you got the atmospheres in Kentucky and then the kid from Tennessee Tech just coming there just throwing 70 mile an hour junk and they had no answer for it they couldn't lay out you know because they're so used to getting fastball 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 they they couldn't they couldn't be patient enough at the plate that night at Smokey's Park plenty of options of course and you know if, if you run into a buzzsaw that somebody's on that night you have so many different options off the bench because this Tennessee lineup's kind of looked a little bit different at times this year you got a great bullpen you've got four starters so this team is equipped to of course make a deep postseason run and it starts this week and I do again. One more reminder, though. I mean, Tennessee run ruled Mississippi State last year in Hoover, and Mississippi State went on to win the World Series. So, uh, if it doesn't go Tennessee's way this week, it's all right. But obviously, everything pointing towards next Thursday or Friday because Tennessee doesn't know which one it will begin on. But uh, that's starting this week. Uh, the two Diamond Balls podcasts coming out. One came out yesterday. One coming out later today, getting you ready for uh, Tennessee and Hoover. And we'll have many podcasts throughout the week. Ben's going to cover all that from Hoover. Uh, great stuff from Danny White, Brent Hobbs, uh, Q&A part one and part two up on the website right now. And tons of recruiting coverage getting you set for a major, major weekend 
uh, premier Memorial Day weekend here on Rocky Top. And so we'll uh, lead you into that. Of course, the podcast on Thursday as well. Big thanks to Smoky Mountain Organics for helping us out here today. As always, don't forget to visit one of the three locations in East Tennessee, including the one right here in Knoxville, 8018 Kingston Pike across from Trader Joe's or you can buy online at the website SmokyMountainOrganics.com. Or also, hey, Bryce, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we think we're gonna let we're gonna let Kane host this thing again. I mean, he do okay, AP. I mean, this I don't is, know. We'll, we'll let the GQ decide. Yeah, don't ask AP. We know what he's gonna say. And really, for that matter, don't ask the general quarters because we know what they're gonna say. Hey, Rob, Rob, what did you think? EC, I thought you did a great job, man. Man, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Really? Ballquest.com. This is the ball They had too much Jimbo Fisher in this podcast. <laughs> it's what everybody was talking about. We'll try to get here on the Mailbot Podcast later this week here at Ballquest.com. You've been listening to the Ballquest Podcast every week here on Ballquest.